اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم We'll begin from ayah 153. We'll just do a quick review of the verse and then we'll continue. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, O you who have believed, istareenu bisabri wa salah, seek help through patience and through prayer. Inna allaha ma'al sabirin, indeed Allah is with those people who are patient. I have a question for you. How important is salah? Is it important? Yeah? So if somebody asks you, what's the big deal about salah? Why is it so important? What answer would you give them? How is it important? What's the answer to that? Is it one of the five pillars of Islam? Yes. Is it something that is mandatory on a person? Yes. Is it something that a person has to do even when he's sick, and even when he's traveling, even when he's home, even when he's at work, no matter what his situation is? Yes. Is it something that a person will be asked about on the Day of Judgment? Yes, for sure. One of the first questions a person will be asked on the Day of Judgment is about his salah, because it's the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we know very well about how important salah is. But if you look at the ayah, what does Allah say? Seek help through first patience and then prayer. Bisabri wa salah. Does this mean that salah is not as important? No, it is definitely very important. But when it comes to difficult situations, then you need sabr as well. And sometimes sabr demands more of you than salah does. Because salah, okay, you go and pray within five minutes and you're done. Within ten minutes and you're done. But you know what? You need sabr all the time. Not just for those 10-15 minutes, but all the time. When you're in front of people, when you're alone, when you're facing criticism from people, when you are suffering from pain, when you're suffering from difficulty, no matter what your situation is, you need sabr all the time. So this shows to us that sabr is more difficult, but at the same time, it is also very important. And because it's difficult, its result is also very great. Its fruit is also very beneficial. One support said that as-sabru mithlu smuhu. That sabr is just like its name. Meaning, sabr is what it is. It is tough, it is difficult. Murrun madhaqatihi. Its taste is very bitter. Meaning, it is very, very difficult for a person. It's as though you're having a very bitter medicine. It's very horrible in its taste. Murrun madhaqatihi. But then the poet said, that lakin awaqibuhu ahla min al-asali but its results are much more sweet than honey sabr is just as what it is called meaning it's very difficult it's very bitter in its taste it's horrible it really drains you it exhausts you it's a bitter experience however its results are much better much more sweeter than even honey so sabr is difficult and this is why Allah says, "Inna Allah ma'asabirin." Indeed, Allah is with those people who are patient, those who are struggling, those who are striving, those who stay firm, those who control themselves, those who restrain themselves from reacting negatively, who control themselves even when people are doing things that they don't like, even what they completely disagree with, they control themselves over there. Allah says they're not alone. Allah is with them. Inna Allah ma'asabirin. Notice Allah says, "Istareenu bisabri wasala." But Allah only says, إِنَّ اللَّهُ مَعَ الصَّابِرِينَ Not مِنَ الْمُصَلِّينَ Do you see that? إِنَّ اللَّهُ مَعَ الصَّابِرِينَ It doesn't say, وَالْمُصَلِّينَ And also those who pray. Only صَابِرِينَ is mentioned. Why? 
Because sabr is more difficult. Sabr is more difficult. Many people can pray. But can everybody have sabr? No. Not everybody can have sabr. So those who are patient are the ones who receive the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it doesn't mean that you only seek help through your self-control. No. You also seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In difficult situations, many times people lose the balance. Either they rely completely on themselves, or they rely completely on prayers and they do nothing else. There must be a balance. Both must be done. You have to control yourself and you also have to beg before Allah. Both are necessary. And like this, a person goes through the difficulty successfully. Otherwise, he will be a failure. And then Allah says, وَلَا تَقُولُوا And you should not say, تَقُولُوا قَافْ وَاولَمْ Do not say, لِمَنْ For those who, مَنْ Who, يُقْتَلْ He is killed. قَافْ لَمْ قَتْلْ قَتْلْ is to kill. So the one who is killed, فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ In the way of Allah, أَمْوَاتْ Dead. أَمْوَاتْ is the plural of مَيِّتْ From the root letters, ميم واو تا Mawt is death. And mayyit is a person who is dead. Amwat, ones who are dead, those who are dead. So don't say about those people who have died in the way of Allah that they are dead. Why? Bal rather, ahya'un, ones alive. They are alive, they're not dead. Those who have died in the way of Allah, those who are killed in the way of Allah, they're not actually dead, rather they are alive. Ahya is the plural of hay. Hay, one who is alive. Ahya, those who are alive. But they're dead, that's why we buried them. So how are they alive? Allah says, Walakin but la tashurun. You do not realize. Tashurun is from shurur, sheen ain't ra. We have done this word earlier. Walakin la yashurun. The hypocrites, they don't perceive, they don't realize. So, what do we see in this verse? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the believers that don't think that those people who have been killed in the way of Allah, they are dead. No, they're not dead. They're actually alive. But you don't understand how they are alive. What kind of life they have. You can't know about that. You cannot understand that. Why is this ayah mentioned over here right after the verse about sabr and salah? I mentioned to you earlier that this is a Madani surah. And in Medina, when the Muslims migrated over there, they suffered many challenges, many difficulties. Personal, Social, economical, at every level, they suffered challenges and difficulties. One thing that they suffered was what? Many battles. We know that the mushrikeen, they came and attacked at the battle of Badr. And so many Muslims died at that time. At the battle of Uhud as well. So many Muslims died at that time. And these are just the major battles. There are many things that happened in between. And there were many other Muslims who were still in Makkah who were being persecuted. So, Many Muslim lives were being lost. Why? Because they were fi sabilillah in the way of Allah. The question is, what does it mean to die in the way of Allah? Sabil, as you know, is from the root letter seen by Lam. Sabil is a path, a way. So, in the way of Allah, meaning they are on the religion of Allah. The religion of Allah is also known as the way of Allah. Why? Because it is such a way of life that takes a person to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is the way of life that has been decided by who? 
by Allah. So this is why it's the way of Allah. It's the way that takes you to Allah and it's the way that Allah has decided. It's the way that He has told us to follow, to be on. Now, this is the way of Allah. What does it mean by dying in the way of Allah, being killed in the way of Allah? It happens for some people that when they become serious about their religion, what happens? They face a lot of opposition. You may have experienced it yourself. You start wearing a hijab and you go out and you feel as if everybody's eyes are on you. And you feel as if every negative comment is against you. It happens. People oppose many times those who become more religious, those who become serious about their religion. And you know the kind of opposition that we face today? It's nothing like the kind of opposition that the Muslims faced at the time of the Prophet That was way more, that was way more severe, way more difficult. All that we have to suffer is just eyes, just comments. And we can always ignore them. We can always forget about them. At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, it became so severe that if a person remained firm on his Islam, it meant he was to be killed. Literally, it did not matter that you were their brother, you were their sister, you were their son, you were their friend. No, it did not matter. Imagine Muhammad ﷺ. How was he before he got prophethood? We know that he was known as As-Sadiq Al-Ameen. Even the mushrikeen, they trusted him. They had so much respect for him. They considered him to be someone very noble. Which is why we see that when the mushrikeen, they were reconstructing the Kaaba. Once because of the floods, it was destroyed. So they had to reconstruct the Kaaba. And now they had to fix the Hajar Aswad, the black stone. But there was a dispute. Everybody wanted to do it themselves. And they decided that whoever comes first, he's going to do it. And Muhammad ﷺ is the one who walked in. And nobody had any objection against him. They accepted him. They respected him. But look at what happened when he proclaimed prophethood. Abu Lahab. Who was he? The neighbor of the Prophet ﷺ. The uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. His sons were married to the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ. They were so close. Imagine they were neighbors. Their children were married together. You can imagine the friendship and the love that they must have. But afterwards what happened? Abu Lahab became one of the severest enemies to the Prophet ﷺ. He is the one who would follow the Prophet around Mecca. And as the Prophet ﷺ would give da'wah to people, he would say, don't listen to him, don't believe in him, he's betrayed us, he's left us, don't give any importance to him. He would humiliate the Prophet ﷺ in public. He told his sons, you divorce the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, otherwise you're not with me. Just imagine how life completely turned around, how it changed. So they suffered a lot of persecution and it got to the extent that people wanted to kill him. And not just him, but many other people. And they did. They killed many, many companions of the Prophet ﷺ. Now imagine, if somebody dies, if somebody is killed, he is assassinated, brutally killed, just because of his faith, imagine, how would you feel? You'd feel horrible, you'd feel very sad. And imagine if they're very young. Imagine if they were newly married. Imagine if they had a lot of potential to grow, to succeed, to lead people. Imagine if they're killed, what would you say? How sad they lost their life. How sad they lost so many opportunities. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comforts the believers over here. Any person who is killed in the way of Allah, because he's living up, he's living the deen of Allah, he is protecting, he is preserving the religion of Allah, 
And also when the mushrikeen came to fight against the Muslims, they were defending their religion of Allah. So if anybody is killed in this way, don't think they're dead. Don't say that they are dead. لا تقولوا And you know this لا تقولوا means don't say with your tongues and don't say in your hearts. So in other words, don't feel bad for them. Don't feel pity for them. That they died too young. They died too early. If they hadn't accepted Islam, if they hadn't remained firm on their Islam, you know, they could have lived longer. They could have lived an easier life. Allah says, don't say that. Don't feel pity for them. لا تقولوا Don't even think about that. Why? Because they're not dead. They're actually alive. But, isn't it obvious that if a person has been struck by a sword and he's bleeding and now he cannot move, he cannot breathe and you see that the body is becoming cold, you know that that person is dead. The soul has separated from the body. Allah says, بَلْ How are they alive? The thing is, that a person, when he's in this world, what is together? The body and the soul. They're together. And because of that, you feel, you experience, you taste, you enjoy, you experience a lot of things as you're alive. But once the soul leaves the body, then can you see, and can you hear, and can you touch, and can you feel, and can you experience anything? You can't. Because the body is nothing without the soul. But for those who die in the way of Allah, just because their soul has left their body, it doesn't mean they don't experience any pleasure anymore. No, they do. They do. How? That there is a special place that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has reserved for the souls of such people, of the martyrs, of those who die in the way of Allah. And there, they enjoy they eat, they drink, they become happy, they rejoice. And inshallah we'll learn more about that in Surah Ali Imran, in more detail. What is this place? What is this world? It is known as the Barzakh. Barzakh is, you can say, the state that the soul of a person is in after they leave this world until the Day of Judgment. Barzakh. It's, you can say, a world of the unseen. No person in this world has seen it. We cannot describe it except with the description that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. So, if a person has lived a righteous life, an obedient life, and especially if he has died in the way of Allah because of the religion of Allah, because of his faith in Allah, then Allah will not deprive him of enjoyment, of pleasure. No. When the soul leaves the body, in the barzakh, it enjoys and we learn from a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the souls of the martyrs are, you can say like green birds, that fly around in Jannah, in paradise. And they sit on the chandeliers, and they eat of the fruits. Imagine. So it's as though they are made to enjoy parts of Jannah, even before they actually enter Jannah. So, don't feel sad, don't feel pity for those who have died in the way of Allah. They are in a much, much better place. A much better place. They're enjoying, they're happy, they're eating, they're drinking, they have beautiful company. They are experiencing life like no one else. And we learn that on the other hand, if a person has lived an evil life, 
a disobedient life. He has been rebellious towards Allah. Then such a person when he dies, he also suffers punishment. And we all are familiar about the punishment that the person suffers in the grave. And also the punishment that a person suffers in the world of barzakh. We know in the Qur'an about the illiyin. And also the opposite of illiyin is sijin. So illiyin is where the souls of the righteous are. And sijin, it literally means a prison. So that is where the souls of the disobedient people are, the disbelievers are. So where the righteous enjoy, the disobedient suffer punishment. So وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ يُقْتَلَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتِ Don't say that they are dead, بَلْ أَحْيَاء Instead they are alive, near their Lord, وَلَكِنْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ What kind of life do they have? Because we cannot even imagine the soul experiencing something without the body. All that we know is the physical world. We only know the physical world. We can only fully comprehend that. So how do you comprehend what's going on in the barzakh? Allah says, you don't know about it. وَلَكِ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ However, when Allah is telling us that there is a barzakh and there is, you know, where righteous enjoy and disobedient suffer, then we believe in that. What do we learn in this verse? There is a very important lesson that we learn in this verse. First of all, we see the importance of ikhlas, the importance of sincerity. That no matter what action a person is doing, no matter how big or small it may be, his intention should be what? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because notice, it hasn't been said, for the one who is yuqtala, the one who is killed, musliman, just as a muslim. No, what has been said, fi sabilillah, that he is truly in the way of Allah. Only that person, will get this reward. Not anyone who claims to be in the way of Allah. Not anyone who claims to be a Muslim. Not anyone who is doing something and he claims that he is doing it for the sake of Allah. No. Sincerity of intention is extremely important. And we learned that once a person came and asked the Prophet ﷺ that what is it to go out in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You know, some people when they go out and participate in a battle, they do it you know, out of anger with feelings of revenge against the enemy. And some people do it just to protect their tribe. And some people do it to show off their power. So what is it to be in the way of Allah? The Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ قَاتَلَ لِتَكُونَ كَلِمَةُ اللَّهِ الْعُلْيَا فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ The one who fights so that the word of Allah is the exalted, then that person is in the way of Allah. Not anyone who goes and does whatever he wants. So this teaches us the importance of ikhlas. Sincerity. Now, the people who fought at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that's something very big. We are nowhere near that. However, a very important lesson for us, whatever action we're doing, something small, something big, no matter what it is, make your intention for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hope and expect for reward from who? Allah alone. Don't do it to seek praise from people. Don't do it to seek the appreciation of people. No, do it for Allah. So whether people oppose you, they leave you, they abandon you, they criticize you, they mock at you, whatever. Don't care about that. The reaction of people should not stop you from what you're doing. Be persistent. And that is a sign of sincerity. Another very important lesson that we learn in this ayah is that the reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to a person for his action is far greater 
than the action of the person, than the effort of the person. Think about it. There is a person, just imagine any companion of the Prophet ﷺ, they're going in the battle of Uhud, and then they die. They put in so much effort to go, so much confidence they mustered up together so that they could actually go and participate in that battle. It took a lot from them. Yes, it took a lot of effort on their part. However, look at the reward that Allah gave them. Not just that, okay, your sins are forgiven. Okay, you will be entered into paradise on the day of judgment. No. From the moment of death, from the moment of death until the day of judgment, that person is enjoying. That person is enjoying life like no one else. This is the reward that Allah gives to a person. Any action you do, remember, what Allah has to give to you is much greater, much better than your effort. So, what kind of actions should we do then? What kind of effort should we put in the way of Allah? To please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Should it be anything? Any kind of effort? No. We should give it our best. If we want the best, then we should give our best as well. We should do our best as well. We learn that if a person gives charity in the way of Allah, the example of that is like a grain. And a grain, once it's put into the ground and it's taken care of, it will not just stay there, it will grow into a plant. And as it will grow, more seeds, more fruit will come out of it. And in the Qur'an we learn 700 times more. So one grain brings 700 more grains. Your one deed could bring 700 good deeds, 700 rewards for that one action. And Allah can increase how many ever times He wants. So if we want the best reward, we have to do even the little that we do with sincerity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should do our best. Then we also learn in this ayah about the fact of life after death. And I don't mean by that life on the day of judgment and after that, but even before that. Life that is between this dunya and the establishment of the Sarah of the final day. There is life between that. How is it? What is it about? In what way it is? We don't know. But it exists. It is real. And we also are going to experience that someday. This is just like a child. is in the womb. He is alive. But then he comes into the world. And then again he is alive. And eventually, when he dies, again he will be alive in some way or the other. And then eventually there is the Day of Judgment, after which is eternity. After which the state of a person will never ever change. Whatever state he is in, that will be permanent. So we should prepare for that. And we should be very much concerned about that. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ And surely we will definitely test you. We will definitely try you. Look at this word. وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ See the lamb? Lamb means surely. And whenever this lamb comes with a fatha, which means surely, before a word, there is a qasm, there is an oath that is implied. What do I mean by that? That it is implied that what it means by the statement is, Wallahi lanabluwannakum. By Allah, surely, we will definitely test you. I swear, definitely, you will be tested. And notice, lanabluwannakum. Notice the noon. What does the noon mean with the shadda? 
Definitely, there is no doubt about that. There is no doubt about this fact. This is a surety. This will definitely happen. What? That we will try you. That we will test you. Balam, wow. And bala, we have done this word earlier as well. وَإِذِي بِثَلَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُ بِكَلِمَاتٍ فَأَتَمَّهُنْ Bala is a test, a trial, a very difficult one. So we will test you. There is no doubt about that. And notice the kum. Kum is singular or plural? Plural. So who does that include? Who does that include? All of us. All of us. Every single one of us. Without any exception. No matter how obedient a person is. Whether he prays the hajjud or he doesn't pray the hajjud. Whether she covers or she doesn't cover. Whether she knows the entire Qur'an by heart or she doesn't. Whether she volunteers somewhere or she doesn't. Whether she's very nice to her parents or she's not. It doesn't matter. Every single person. Because who are the first people to hear this verse? The Sahaba. Were they not righteous people? Far more righteous than us. So if they were tested, what about us? We'll definitely be tested. We will definitely test you. How? Through what? Bishay'in. With something. Shay is something. But notice Shay'in. There is two kasra. And remember the two vowel signs at the end of a word, tanween. What does that show? That it's a nakira word. Just remember this word nakira. Inshallah I'll explain that some other time as well. Nakira. And a word is nakira for several reasons. One of them is to show only a few. Some. And sometimes it is to show a lot. So sometimes it gives the meaning of taqlil and sometimes it gives the meaning of takthir. So shay'in, very few or many. Okay, very few or many. It gives other meanings as well. So over here, وَلَنَبُلْوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ With something, this could give either of two meanings. Either only a little bit a person will be tested, or a person will be tested a lot. You know, for example, a person is tested very little concerning his, let's say, health. For example, one person, he doesn't suffer at all. The maximum that he feels is a cold maybe once a year, or maybe a headache once in two months, in three months. Maximum this is what they suffer. But another person, he suffers concerning his health much more. So every person's tests are different. Some are tested more and some are tested less. Likewise, in your own personal life, you may be tested a lot in one respect and might be tested very less in another respect. So for example, with your health, no problem. Only occasionally you feel sick. But when it comes to, let's say, your education, your career, you feel as if you're lost, you don't know what to do, no matter what you try, you fail. No matter where you apply, you can't get in. So you're completely lost about your future. So this is what a test of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So in some things you may be tested very little, in other things, a lot. So وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ Definitely tests will come. What kind of tests will come? مِنَ الْخَوْفِ From fear. وَالْجُوعِ And the hunger. وَنَقْسٍ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ And shortage of properties. وَالْأَنفُسِ And lives. وَالثَّمَرَاتِ And fruit. Meaning shortage of properties, lives, and also fruits. So what do we see here? Five types of tests are mentioned. Five types of tests are mentioned. Masaib, 
How many? Khamsa. What are they? First of all, khawf. What does khawf mean? Fear. What kind of fear is it? About the future. Something that might harm you. Something that might damage you in whatever way in the future. Something that may happen that may be very detrimental in the future. It could be in the next moment. It could be in the next hour. It could be in the next year. It could be in the next seven years. Whatever. Khawf. Fear. Do people have fear of future? All people have it. For example, if a person doesn't have children, they're like, what's going to happen? I won't have kids. How am I going to live? What will I think? How will my life be? People have fear. Likewise, when people have kids, they're like, you know, what's going to happen to me? In a few years, I'll be done. I'll be finished. I won't have any energy left. If a person doesn't have a job, they feel, you know, what's going to happen? I'm going to go bankrupt. I'm going to have nothing in my account. I'm going to be begging on the streets. Every person has fear. And if nothing, every person has fear of death. Why? Because life is very unpredictable. You can never ever predict what's going to happen in the future. Life can turn around like this. A couple who could be very happy with one another. They're known to be the best couple, the ideal couple. The next day you learn, they're having problems. And the day after you learn, they're done, they're finished. A child who could be very good. The next day you know they've rebelled and they've left their parents. Life is unpredictable. People always have fear about their financial position, about their family position, about their social position, about their career. Everything that people experience, they have fear for that. What if I lose it? What if something wrong happens? So this fear, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? This fear will definitely come. You will be sometimes in some positions, in some situations where you will be overwhelmed with fear. And it happens sometimes with very, very small things. The other day I had gone to take a test somewhere and I was waiting to receive my results and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I felt as though my heart was going to come out. Those like 5-10 minutes that I had to wait to get my results, I was freaking out. I was so afraid, I can't even tell you. And when I got my result and I had passed, I was like, Alhamdulillah, I, I literally felt as though I had entered Jannah. The kind of fear that I had experienced, the relief that I got by receiving that result, I was like, Alhamdulillah. So, there are moments in your life when you experience fear. You know, you're cooking something and you're like, what if I burn it? What if it doesn't turn out right? What if this happens? What if that happens? And it happens, right? Fear, it haunts you sometimes. Allah will definitely test us through fear. He will put us in situations where we are afraid, we are terrified. Days when we don't even want to get out of bed. We don't want to turn our phone on. We don't want to turn our computer on. We don't want to open our email. We don't want to do any work because we're afraid. Allah will put us in these situations. The second type of test. And remember that khawf is of two types. First of all, general. And secondly, specific. So for example, a person could be in a situation where everybody is suffering from that fear. So for example, your entire family is going through a problem. So only you are not affected, but your entire family is suffering from that fear. Or for instance, an entire country could be at you know, some threat. Or you know, for example, uh, people don't know where they're going to get their oil from 50 years from now. Or they don't know if they'll be safe 50 years or 100 years from now. So people suffer at a general level, at a mass level. And it also at personal level, at an individual level. 
So these fears will come. Second type of test. Waljur and the hunger. Jur, jim wa'u'ain, is hunger. It is when the stomach of a person is empty. Meaning there is no food in it. The stomach is completely empty. Have you ever experienced that? You feel as though really there is nothing in your stomach. But hunger is not just when you don't have anything in your tummy, but it is when you also desire food. You want to eat. You're craving it. You desperately want to eat. So it's A, your tummy is empty, and B, you want food. Jur, hunger. Allah will test you through hunger. And there are many reasons behind hunger, why a person could be hungry. It could be, for instance, that a person doesn't have food. Food is not available. For instance, you go home and you open the refrigerator and you're like, what can I eat? You can't find anything that you can eat. All you can see is you know, ketchup and jam, but no bread, no bagels. No leftover food from last night. Nothing that you could eat. So, hunger, why? Because of lack of food. There is no food available. You have money in your wallet. A lot of money. But you don't have food. Similarly, you could be very busy in your work. You're traveling from one place to the other. You're driving. And you didn't even get time to stop for food. But you are hungry. It doesn't mean you're poor. You're experiencing hunger. Another reason is lack of money, lack of resources. That you don't have the money to buy food. You cannot afford to buy food. Abu Hurairah he used to suffer from hunger a lot when he was studying. He would be hungry because he didn't have any food. And then you know what? He didn't have money either to buy food. Another reason could be some illness, some disease because of which a person cannot eat no matter how much he wants to eat. You know sometimes it happens. For instance, a person has had a surgery or something like that and they cannot eat they're told you can't eat, you can only drink water, you can have juice, but you can't eat any solid food. And sometimes they're told you can't even drink anything, not even a sip of water, everything is going into your body through you know, a drip or something like that. But you want food, you want something to chew on. Likewise, a person could have, for instance, allergies, because of which you can't have much food. Or you could be in a place where you can't find halal food at all. I remember once I went with my husband somewhere, and it was a place where you don't find any Muslims at all. And it was supposed to be our vacation. And we're like, okay, we're hungry, what do we eat? And we can't find any restaurant that where we could eat. You know how sometimes there are restaurants where you can find food, okay, some vegetarian option, you find Subway, you know, you find something that you can eat. We could not find anything to eat. So you know what we did? We found a gas station, and we went there, we got a loaf of bread, and some chips literally we took those chips we put them in bread we made sandwiches and we ate that we were desperate for food no fruit nothing we experienced that so sometimes it happens you are put in such situations even if it's for just a few hours but you do experience that but what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that we will test you no matter how comfortable you are at your home no matter how easy life you're living, there will be times when you will be tested. The third thing, نَقْص is deficiency, shortage, to be less. So the shortage of what? مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ 
Amwal is a plural of mal, meem, waw, lam. And mal is property. Anything that a person owns. It could be a person's house, it could be the land that they own, it could be the money that they own, it could be the assets, their business, their car, their shoes, their hairbrush, their toothbrush, everything is what? Literally, everything is what? Your mal. Even your hijab pins, what are they? Your mal. Your pencil, your pen, your notebook, everything that you own is what? Your mal. Allah says He will test you through what? That you will have less mal. You will not have enough. You will lose some of it. I remember somebody once told me that one of their friends, they got married and they were traveling somewhere and they took some of their jewelry, their gold jewelry with them so that they could wear it. It was a party or something like that. So they wanted to wear it. All of it was in a pouch and they lost that pouch. All of their gold jewelry, gone. It happens sometimes. A person is traveling and you lose your wallet. All of your money was in it. You're done. What do you do now? I remember we had gone for Umrah once and a person was in our group and he came back from Tawaf and he said, I don't have my wallet. All of his bank cards, his money, everything was in it. He lost all the money. And he was doing Tawaf. Imagine, somebody picked his pocket in Tawaf. What a great crime. First of all, Picking somebody's pocket is wrong itself. But doing it in the haram is a much more severe crime. So anyway, that person, perfectly fine at home, but at that time they lost their money. And you know when people travel, they take money from their savings. What they've saved. So they took their savings over there and they lost it. Not all of it, but part of it. min al amwal. A person has a perfectly fine car, and that's it. They have an accident. It wasn't their fault. Somebody else's fault. They lose the car. It happens. Your bag got stolen. You forgot it somewhere. You can't find it. Your phone, your brand new phone, doesn't work anymore. You're like, I just spent so much money on it. Now I've just spent more money to buy a new phone. So, naqsamin al-amwal. These are tests. It will happen. Well, anfus. Anfus is a plural of nafs. And nafs, soul, life, person. So, loss of lives. Meaning the people you have will become less. The people who are close to you will diminish. One after the other, they will be gone. And we see this, for example, that Muslims, when they migrated to Medina, all of a sudden they were muhajireen, they were ansar, everybody together, so many of them. And then Battle of Badr, so many companions died. Battle of Uhud, so many companions died. In the middle, many became sick, other things happened. Loss of lives. نَقْسِمْ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ You know, a person is living in their house very happily, and the next thing they know, their grandparents, one of them, has died. I remember a friend, from the moment I got to know about her, I met her, I knew that she had a grandmother who lived with her, and one day all of a sudden, she died. And then, you know, if you go to that house, you notice that person is not there anymore. نَقْسِمْ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ Loss of lives. That huge family you had, one by one they're all gone. Well, anfus, thamarat. Thamarat is a plural of thamara, meaning, and also the loss of fruits. And you know that thamarat are not just fruits as in apples and oranges and bananas that we eat, but literally it is the product of a process. So you can call it your profit, your gain. So loss of that as well. 
So for example, a person invests his money so that he can gain some profit. But the next thing he knows, wherever he invested, you know, they suffered a great loss and he made nothing out of it. In fact, he also lost his capital that he invested. A person buys a farm. He plants many trees. And there are many fruits on it. But the next thing you know, the temperature really drops and all the fruits gone. Or for example, it's very cold. Or there is a drought. The temperature is not good enough that the plants will grow and all of them are gone. I visited somebody's farm once and they showed a huge field. Huge field. That was filled with mango trees. And they said, you know, a couple of years ago, we had orange trees over here. And then once in the winter, the temperatures dropped so much that all of those trees, they died. Imagine how much money they lost. And imagine how much money they would have to take out of their savings in order to buy more trees, in order to plant them, in order to take care of them, wait for them to grow, and then start producing fruit. So, all of this is a part of life. وَلَنَبُلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُورِ وَنَقْسٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ But what does Allah say? وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Look at it. All of these things, you know, they, they cause you to become depressed. It's so depressing. We'll be tested in this way, in that way. Yeah, this was so sad, and this was so bad, and this was so horrifying. But what does Allah say? وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Give good news to who? Those people who are patient. Make them happy. Give them good news. Bashir. Bashir is from Bashara. Bashin ra. And Bashara is good news. So give good news to those people who are patient. Sabirin, plural of sabir. Good news of what? Good news of reward. For what? For their loss. For their patience. For their expecting reward from Allah. وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Give them good news. Tell them what will make them happy. Tell them what will please them. You know, it happens sometimes that a person, they've suffered a great loss and you go for condolence, whatever the loss may be. And you say, I'm very sorry about your loss. So what happened? Tell me. And you make them narrate the entire story again. And you say, I'm so sorry. And they feel even more bad. And they feel even more horrible. And they start crying. And they can't get over their sorrow. At this time, yes, you do offer your condolence. You do tell them you're very sorry for their loss. But at the same time, also give them some good news. Tell them something that will make them happy. I mentioned this to you earlier as well, the hadith in which we learned that once the Prophet ﷺ, he took out some time to only address the women. And in the address that he gave to the women, he told them that if any one of you has lost three children, then she will have Jannah then those children will become a shield for her from hellfire. And the woman asked, what about two? And he said, yes, even two. So imagine for a woman who has lost her children, it's a very, very big loss. It's something that a woman cannot get over. But at that time, look at the good news that the Prophet ﷺ gave. That child will become a shield for you against hellfire. You will not be able to enter hellfire because of that child. It also includes miscarriages. Because in the hadith we learned that before puberty. So before puberty includes whether the child is in the womb or outside of the womb. Now imagine, if a woman gets to know about that, that okay, I've lost a child, but inshallah, this will be a source of my protection against the hellfire on the day of judgment. 
doesn't the good news outweigh the sadness that she's experiencing? Isn't it a source of great comfort for her? Would it not make her happy? Of course it will. So وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ When you go and see someone who is sad, who is upset, who is suffering from grief, tell them something nice that will make them happy. Tell them something nice. وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Give them good news. 